You are listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, holiday traditions from around the world. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is a program promoting secular humanism and scientific skepticism produced by the Winnipeg Skeptics. You can email your questions, comments, or criticisms to us at podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes, references, and relevant links can be found at podcast.wordpress.com or at winnipegskeptics.com slash blog. Today on the show, we'll be talking about all of the different holiday traditions that are not Christmas. Every single one. Every single one. We have dedicated a lot of our December shows over the years to talking about different aspects of Christmas. And so this year we're branching out because we've kind of run out of things to talk about about Christmas. No, I am surprised that we haven't done this yet, actually. Like the, yeah, all was... the other surrounding, I mean, maybe that's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like Christmas is the tent pole and mm-hmm. these are kind of all the ones that are around Festivus it. is the tent pole. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. We did have a, a quiz one year where we talked about different um, different holiday traditions. Um, but uh... The minor Christmases, if you will. <laughs> uh, Christmas light. Yeah, we, 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 we may be making jokes like that. I apologize. We don't mean it. <laughs> Hence why they are. Jokes. jokes. Yeah. Yes. But before we get to that, we got a couple of emails about our counter-apologetics show, and Jem is going to address them. Oh, okay. We're going to start with this. Yep. Oh, all right. Okay. Well. Okay. Then we can get festive. Yeah. Well, it's probably a good idea not to end on this note, because, yeah. boy, this is, this is some stuff. So, we got a lot of positive feedback on our apologetics episode, but I'd like to highlight one email uh, that we got in particular. Uh, it's from uh, listener H.J. Hornbeck, and he wrote... Loved the episode on apologetics, but it fell into a trap I see most atheist apologetics fall into. Paul Draper's famous evidential problem of evil argues against an omnipotent, omniscient, and morally perfect person who created the universe. This means that it does not argue against gods which did not create the universe, nor against those lacking omnipotence, omniscience, moral perfection, nor personhood. While no one has an accurate count of the gods, it seems reasonable to believe that Draper's argument only affects a minority of them. To the remainder, though, the elimination of a subset raises their relative probability. So that's what? a very interesting point. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> it means I'm really glad I skipped the show. Yeah. I read, I read that, I, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, bro, but Jen will know. Jen will know. <laughs> well, yeah. It actually it took me a moment to, to, to get around what, what he was talking about, to get my mind around it, but he's actually sort of addressing a very interesting point. So when we provide evidence against a specific God hypothesis, do we thereby strengthen the case for other gods? So if we, uh, say, conclusively disprove or at least provide evidence against uh, the existence of the Abrahamic God, does that strengthen the case for, say, a Hindu pantheon? Jovian all the way. Why, why would it? Because it do, they don't meet the qualities of one single. So, so let's let's get into the weeds here. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how many listeners we're going to lose right at the top of this episode, Ashlyn. We promise it gets better. It's uh, a quiz. Stick around. We're about to get to some fun. So obviously, but first, we are when we provide these these counter evidences, we're providing rhetorical ammunition to people of other religious stripes to argue against the hypothesis in question. But more than that. Are we actually increasing the probability of other God claims being true when we provide evidence against 
a god claim? And the answer actually seems to be yes. Although, spoiler alert, I don't think it's too worrisome. Okay, so my general approach to apologetics, and perhaps I was guilty of not articulating this very well uh, in the last episode, is that the God hypothesis is superfluous. Well, many apologists bemoan atheists for not having any good arguments for atheism. Unless you're out there preaching hard atheism, the, the certainty that no gods exist, then the burden of proof lies on the apologist who's making the claim, right? Well, the counter-apologist can safely sit back and swat away the bad arguments. However, when we advance an argument against a particular formulation of God, whether it's Justin Schieber's problem of non-God objects or Draper's evidential problem of evil, as H.J. Hornbeck mentioned, when we advance an argument against a formulation of God or refute an argument in favor of a particular God, it does seem that this actually improves the argument in favor of gods that don't match this description. That may seem like a weird proposition, so let's try an analogy. And since Ashlyn insisted that I make this festive... Okay. He's wearing uh, a jaunty hat. <laughs> okay, suppose there are four candy canes on the table. A peppermint candy cane, a raspberry candy cane, a cherry one, and a chocolate candy cane. Ugh. I want you to guess my favorite, Ashlyn. You're a very traditional person. I'm going to go with peppermint. Okay, and how do you feel about your chances? About 25%. <laughs> okay, Ian, <laughs> why don't you guess? Good. Yes. Uh, I'm going to guess that you are a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> the probability of which is 100%. And you're going to go with this weird chocolate candy cane, which may or may not exist. <laughs> so exist. how confident do you feel? 33%. Okay. Now, what if I tell you that Ashlyn is wrong? That I'm not a peppermint person. Is this the whole three doors, one's a goat? <laughs> uh, it's actually, it, it does sound kind of like the Monty Hall problem. That's the one, yes. Uh, but this is distinct. So uh, you don't have to worry about... Uh, the analogy is a little bit different because obviously nobody's coming down and telling us that these things are, um, are true or false. Nobody's opening those doors. But let's say we know for sure... Laura provides a convincing counter-argument that convinces you that Ashlyn is wrong about the peppermint. Does that increase your confidence in your choice? No. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, you, so my gut is telling me that, well, if I know that one of the things is off the table, it does increase my confidence in my answer only because it would appear as though I have a better chance of getting it right so, through, so let's through, say. Sheer, through, through sheer chance. Right, but so I feel as though you're going to say, nope, sorry, that's wrong, asshole. No, I'm not. Because okay. So you were 35% confident it was this, but probably some part of you was wondering if maybe it was peppermint, right? Of course. You must admit the possibility. And now that you know that that is not true, you can reallocate the likelihoods, right? Yes. Your prior was low, but... Now you can... Okay, let, let's try... Uh, well, let's try 33%. A different analogy. Uh, obviously, this isn't directly analogous to the God question because there are more than four possibilities. So let's continue. Suppose we're decorating the... What, Diwali tree? I don't know. We haven't done the segments yet. Uh, is that the holiday with a tree? Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to decorate the tree, so I go and get my box of holiday ornaments. I bring out this box, and because this is a thought experiment, instead of just opening it, I say, this is my box of ornaments. I want you to guess what kinds of ornaments I have in it and what they look like. Also, I may not have any ornaments. <laughs> Schrodinger's Christmas? So... <laughs> 
You can see the general size and shape of the box, uh, and you watch me carry it, so you have a little bit of information about what's going on, but not a whole lot. You all decide in your heads what kinds of ornaments you think I have. Then I ask Ashlyn to present her guess. She might say... Am I guessing amount, or...? Yeah, what kinds of ornaments? How many? A hundred red Christmas balls. All right. Uh, I was thinking that she might guess I have a single lonely ornament that says Happy Newtonness on it. Uh, Anyway, I announce that her guess is false. Does that increase the likelihood that anyone else's guesses are correct? No. No, not when there's that many possibilities. I think the chances of other people's guesses being right when you have that many don't... I mean, they might go up by like a teeny tiny fraction, but not any sort of significant amount. And that's really the issue, I think. So I see where you're getting mathematically, at here. <laughs> it seems like it should, right? Because among all of the competing hypotheses, among all potential hypotheses about the shape and number and character of my Christmas ornaments, one has been eliminated. The analogy is complicated if we allow for the possibility that some guesses are less specific or allow them to be mutually exclusive. Or, sorry, or allow them not to be mutually exclusive. So there are at least two Christmas ornaments, or at least one of the ornaments is candy-striped. But the principle still seems to hold, namely that disproving claim X necessarily strengthens any claim that explicitly or implicitly includes X is false. So when I ask you to choose my favorite candy cane, your claim, because you can only have one favorite, because we're not six, I guess, uh, <laughs> and your favorite color can be rainbow, uh, as Why mine not? was. <laughs> We're poly, honey. We don't count. <laughs> I was going yeah, to make something, something to that effect eventually. <laughs> so when I ask you to choose my favorite candy cane, implicitly one of them has to be true, and one of them being my favorite means the other ones are not my favorite. So implicitly, mm-hmm. one choice being true means that the others are also false. So, so long as your claims are mutually exclusive disproving one of them strengthens the case for the others. Now, I have to admit that I'm on a little bit shakier ground than usual when I'm presenting this case. Intuitively, it does seem to make sense, but I don't have a lot of experience combining philosophy and probability theory, so (laughs) to bring it back around, a disproof of an omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent god seems like it would, slightly, increase the relative likelihood of a god that doesn't meet those criteria. Disproving a creator god would slightly increase the relative likelihood of gods whose adherents don't claim that their god created the universe. But I don't think that this is particularly worrisome or worthy of that much further thought, unless, you know, you like these sorts of metaphysical philosophies, in which case go for it, man. (laughs) First, the first reason I think is that any particular guess is still much more likely to be false than true. If we're going to play the relative probability game, There are always going to be a multitude of God-related hypotheses on the table, so while your share of relative probability might grow, it will never be more likely than not. If there are a million possibilities and we eliminate one, your odds are still 999,998 to 1 against. (laughs) Second, as much as disproving one God increases the relative probability of another God claim being correct, it also increases the relative probability of the no-gods hypothesis being correct. Mm. And, in some cases, for some mathematical reasons that I'm not going to get into because we'd all be bored to tears, it might... Yeah, more so. It might increase the strength of the atheist claim even more. Third, the burden of proof still lies with the people 
making the claim for the existence of a specific god. Although, of course, it would also lie with those who would claim certainty that no gods exist. We are not in the habit of assuming things are true without evidence. And examining and refuting claims can be rewarding and fun in and of itself. Uh, I'll link to a post by Raymond Bradley on infidels.org that H.J. Hornbeck was kind enough to link us to, uh, which discusses some of these ideas in more detail. But now, I think that our listeners may be well and truly tired of metaphysical philosophy. And to be honest, I think I'm a little tired of it, too. Uh, let's talk about science next time, shall we? <laughs> okay. I like infidels. Infidels. I like so, science. So uh, now that we're going to start the show for real, I guess I should introduce all of us. Uh, <laughs> so my name is Ashlyn Noble, and I'll be your host this evening. And with us today, we have Lauren Bailey. Hi. Laura Creek Newman. Hello there. Jam Newman. Yeah, I'm the guy who's been rambling on this whole time. <laughs> and for his last show with us for now, we have Ian James. <laughs> That's me. It's sad, isn't it? <laughs> so hopefully he'll be back in town in three years or so and get back on this crazy ride if we're still doing this thing. If you guys aren't on national television by then, <laughs> be we can teleconference him in. You can do shows from out there. No, we think we've decided to not make, make no promises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll maybe I'll guest. I'll be one of those like people who records a sexy uh, voiceover for one of the shows. <laughs> yes, excellent, good. We'll, we'll hold you to that. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna go around the table, and we've each chosen a non-Christmas holiday to talk about. Do we have any volunteers to go first? I haven't selected a. I'll go first. Awesome. Uh, I'll go first because I think mine is probably the shortest because it was uh, basically invented in 1966. I think Jem, uh, his uh, his story it? goes back to what year, Jem? What, what's the on your chronology? What's the the farthest back date? Oh, it's uncertain. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> how how far does yours go back, Jem? Uh, oh, well, well before the eighth century. Uh, well before we had good recorded history in, in <laughs> the Germanic really regions. So. There you go. Well, then I will start with uh, Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa is one of those ones that I've always heard about because I think that it's more entertaining as a like a, a, a you, like you see it on TV shows and stuff like that. You see it on Futurama all the time. They talk about Kwanzaa, and I'm, this is by no means an insult to anybody who actually celebrates Kwanzaa, but it does seem like it's more prevalent than it is if you were to believe what what goes on on TV. But an estimate that I got from Wikipedia says that I think. <laughs> 1.6% of the, at least the United States, uh, actually uh, celebrates Kwanzaa. So Kwanzaa was basically invented in uh, 1966 during sort of the, they, I'll use their word on Wikipedia just because I don't want to be, I'm, I'm using their word of the sort of black power movement um, as not necessarily an alternative to Christmas, but at least something that they can claim as their own. It was created by, and there's going to be a lot of Swahili names and terminology in this, so I apologize for butchering every single one of them. <laughs> Maluna Karenga created Kwanzaa in 1965 to specifically be an African-American holiday. And it is usually celebrated alongside Christmas as sort of a, a, an extra, because it actually takes place traditionally after Christmas time, the 26th to the 1st. And the main tenets of which are the, the seven, as they call it, communitarian African philosophies. Do you want me to try to pronounce them? Yeah, I think the idea being that they're, they're the seven principles of African heritage. They have each have uh, African, or Swahili, I should say, Swahili names. Would you want me to try to pronounce them just for fun? 
Sure. I mean, and there are English translations of each of them, right? There is, yeah. Okay. There's, there's, there's the word, and then of course what what it means, and then a small write up as to as to what they mean by it. It's basically seven sort of philosophies. Umoja, which means unity, to strive for and maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race. Kuji Chagulia, which means self determination, to define ourselves, name ourselves, create ourselves, and to speak for ourselves. Ujima collective work and responsibility to build and maintain our community together make our brothers and sisters problems our problems and to solve them together ujama cooperative economics to build and maintain our own store shops and other businesses to profit from them together naya to make our collective vacation the building and developing our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness kumba creativity to do always as much as we can in the way that we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it and emani, which means faith, to believe in all our hearts and our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and righteousness and victory of our struggle. There you go. I really like those. Those are all really yeah, good. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Nice. It's a, and I mean, it's obviously it's a it's a sort of a new. I mean, it's only what you know, 60 60, fifty years old, sixty yeah. years old. And even though one of them is faith, it's not actually like faith in a higher power. It's no. let's have faith in ourselves. And, and that one was pronounced right because a friend of mine's niece is named after the <laughs> oh, really? tenant of. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. As opposed to the other ones you said. Well, those <laughs> ones I don't yeah, know. Right. That one I do know. That one for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My cousin Umoja. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I've always heard about Kwanzaa. Um, the first time I ever really heard about it was on a Futurama episode, actually, where the Kwanzaa bot. Uh, because in the future, in the world of Futurama, the day, the the Christmas sort of, or holiday, I should say, I should say, the holiday Trinity is now the robot Santa Claus, the zombie Hanukkah, uh, the, the zombie Rabbi guy, who's voiced by Mark Hamill, I might add, uh, and the Kwanzaa bot, and that's uh, and, they, and he passes out books with uh, that says what the hell is Kwanzaa on it, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> Okay. Um, the first time I heard about it was on Krusty the Clown on The Simpsons. So, what was it? The crazy Kwanzaa. Crazy Kwanzaa. Yes. Yeah, actually, the uh, it was on here. I'm sorry. Oh, it's uh, the the traditional Kwanzaa greeting is joyous Kwanzaa. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, heard that. You've heard that? Okay. Yeah, and there's the the candles, right? Have something important? Yep. Yeah, they're they're supposed there's to be made three. of bees. Beeswax, from what I understand. Yeah, and there's supposed to be seven of them, each one for each day of, of Kwanzaa. The seven the seven days, each day representing one of the uh, sort of uh, the tenets of, that we just mentioned. One for each day. And they're tricolor candles, aren't they? Yeah, green and red green, and black. Green, red and black. Yeah, right. Representing yes. the land, the people, and the blood that they've spilled. Right, I believe. Yeah, black, red, and green, and, and yeah, they have other other things that have those colors on them as well. But in this uh, write up, they mentioned flags. They have different colored mm-hmm. flags to represent those two things. Yes, there are. I mean, there's other things to go over about like what kind of ceremonies and stuff they do. In for example, drinking out of a communal cup. I was not able to find what I sort of found interesting: the horn of plenty that you see. I always associated like that cornucopia. With, yes, I've always associated that with Kwanzaa, but uh, uh, that I was able to see, it's, it wasn't the first thing mentioned. Maybe in some observances it is, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, doesn't appear that I always thought that was like that's the thing about Kwanzaa, but it didn't. No, what's, I think, what's I think the that's a traditional about, harvest, uh, yeah, like yeah, harvest symbol. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, okay. or yeah. a, so a there, Yule it thing. It just, just shows you how mm-hmm. wrong I, I was and how misinformed <laughs> I was, and now how this show is setting people on the right path to Kwanzaa. Myth busting. Myth busting. <laughs> Kwanzaa sounds like fun. I, I think so too. Actually, I kind of I kind of dig it because it's very the the sort of the vibe that I got is that it's more well. It, I mean the the again I'm going to use the word that they use because I I, uh, 
I uh, really liked it. Yes, the communitarian African philosophy. That it's not about a fictitious man that lives at the North Pole. It's not about... A fictitious baby? A fictitious baby (laughs) or whatever argument you want to make, whether it's fictitious or not. It's person to person. It's a community. And it has a very uh, simple set of values. Here's the Mm -hmm. seven of them. You celebrate those one each day. It's very... It's it's kind of down to earth, which I think is very cool. Sometimes you may not get that in a lot of alternate... Or even Christmas for Mm -hmm. in and of itself. It can be very out there and weird. So I I, I do very much enjoy it. It sounds very... Again, I'll use the word uh, communitarian, which is nice because a lot of the focus, at least in the kind of Christmas tradition, has become about giving gifts and what will I get and giving people these things. And it's not about... It doesn't sound like Kwanzaa is about me. It's about us and spending mm-hmm. time together and building us I as a community a and I like that a, like, cr- there is a little bit of a gift giving thing associated with it but it's not it hasn't become the center of it mm-hmm. yeah the, the focus is different the, yeah, fo- the, focus the focus is on explicitly on the togetherness and the community and yeah. It's not on religious festival, and it's not on a capitalist festival. <laughs> well, know? it depends on the people, too. Sure. Though, I will say that um, the word Kwanzaa, where it comes from, is a Swahili phrase. Again, I'm going to butcher it. I apologize. Matunda ya Kwanzaa, meaning first fruits of the harvest. Right. So there right. you go. So mm, that, no. that harvesty kind of vibe is in well, there. Well, because the harvest you share with the community, yeah. right? So what you do go. you do so. when the harvest comes in? You have a feast and everyone comes and feasts together. See, and, and that's... I, I, I dig it. That's super cool. I think next mm-hmm. year I'm going to do Kwanzaa. What do you guys think? I think we should leave the one holiday that black people have made for themselves. <laughs> <and> black people. <laughs> I think we should not appropriate it. <laughs> There's lots fair. of white people festivals we can do. You, you, you could just okay. make your Christmas a little bit more communitarian. How about that? I like it. Kwanzaa. 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 So let's uh, just keep going around the table then. Uh, Lauren is going to tell us about Eid. Eid? Eid. E-I-D. I've never heard of such a thing. Well, you're gonna. I, <laughs> so I, Lauren gets I, her notes out. I damn yes. well better. Yes. Otherwise, why did I come here today? She wanted to learn. I, I Learn me up, homie. <laughs> so actually, there are two celebrations called Eid in the Islamic calendar. It's calendar. We all picture There are two celebrations called Eid in the Islamic calendar. There's Eid al-Fitr and Eid al I pronounced these earlier. Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha. And my pronunciation is going to be right off the charts on these. I think that's pretty and much universal. I was just going to say. Yeah. I'm oh. sorry in advance to anybody. Haha, <laughs> 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 I get German. <laughs> yeah, we can all mispronounce German. <laughs> so the first one, Eid al-Fitr, is known as the small Eid or the sugar feast. So this is the Ashland holiday. Sugar the feast, Islamic yeah. Calendar. <laughs> yeah. So that's, this is the fun Eid. It can be loosely translated as breaking the fast feast. And it marks the end of Ramadan. So it yeah. is the first day of the, of the month after Ramadan. And it is the one day in the Islamic calendar where no one is allowed to fast. You huh. have to eat on Eid. And you have to eat <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> I like what I'm hearing. <laughs> and you're supposed to start the day with sugar. You're supposed to start the day with a small, sweet breakfast after the morning prayers. So normally people will have like a small fig cake or something as a to break the fast. Sounds I'm a big delightful. fan of this. Yeah. Yep. So it's depending on the country because all of the different countries with Islamic traditions or with Islamic communities, they all have their own festivals of Eid. 
and the names will vary depending on the on the language but depending on the country and denomination of Islam, the Eid celebration will last between one and three days of eating and fe- feasting and festivals. And it will include ah, different... Eid, eating. I yeah, I'm, I'm, yes. I was going to do that, but I'm like, no, I'll just let it keep going. This is spelled Sorry. E-I-D, not E-A-T. And they include different feasts, prayers, and traditions. There's generally a get up really early in the morning before sunrise, do some prayers, and then start feasting and merrymaking. There's also obligatory acts of charity. So it is a festival where you are to give. Essentially, it's a day to celebrate, to eat, to forgive your differences, give gifts, and to show happiness to everyone around you. Nice. Cool. Uh, Thought e- I'd put a little segue. <laughs> <laughs> so Eid al-Fitr follows Ramadan directly, like the morning after, and it follows the Islamic lunar calendar. It occurs approximately 11 days earlier each year due to the differences between the Islamic calendar and the Gregorian. So this year, it's not, it's not what we would call a traditional winter festival because it occurred on July 17, 2017. <laughs> yeah. So that's when Christmas was. Well, excuse me. That's when Eid was. <laughs> so, but the same principles that we see that we're going to see in all of these different cultural celebrations still applied whether it's in high summer or the middle of winter so we've got kindness charity gratitude all of those and presumably the solar calendar is much less important when you're living in some parts of the world than in others right (laughs) yeah in the in the belt yeah Yeah. when you're living equator yes when you when you're living equatorially yeah Mm. good word you're living equatorially the lunar calendar might be a bit of a better fit for celebrations. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, Eid al-Daha is a sacrifice feast. Eid actually means solemn feast. So, oh, okay. a is sacrifice. And this is the one that I'd read some amazing articles on that we're going to link in the show notes. It honors Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his son to Allah. And so, from there, it marks the end of the annual Hajj to Mecca. So it's celebrated right after they come down off the, off the mountain for the Hajj. Okay. And it's celebrated with prayer, rituals, and feasting. Is it only celebrated like in the Mecca area with the Hajj, or is it no. celebrated around the world as it, well? Yeah, everybody yeah. celebrates the, the Hajj, but you know, you're not at Mecca. You right. should Even do it once in your lifetime. If you don't get to go, you can still celebrate. Yeah, okay. you can still have a big sacrifice and feast. And where does it fall in the lunar year as it relates to the other Eid? Well, this year it was on September 24th. Oh, okay, so, so it's just it's a, a few months, months later. Yeah, yeah, it's a couple months later. I'm not really up on the Islamic calendar, <laughs> but it's generally after Ramadan and yes, yeah, it's, and it's that. a couple months after after Ramadan. Mm. Okay, but again, Eight. it's that 11 day step back each year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it falls on the same day, but because in a different calendar. Strangely enough, no, not strange at all. <laughs> the uh, revolution of the Earth around the Sun and the revolution of the Moon around the Earth are not directly related to each other. And so so breaking up, trying to break up like a year into months is not something that works very well. (laughs) So what marks this Eid apart from the other Eid is the sacrifice. As we talked about, it's to celebrate the sacrifice of Abraham and some say Isaac, some say Ishmael. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They aren't sure which son was actually sacrificed, whether it was the son of Hagar. Well, well n- neither of them were actually sacrificed. <laughs> well, but yeah. Okay, I was meant to be. I am yeah. looking to it from the, the celebratory of the Well, tradition. no, no, no. Yeah. Like, in, in the story. No, oh, yeah. They well, were, I know that. Yeah, they did okay. the, the yeah. livestock instead, right? Psych! Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God's like, just kidding, guys. <laughs> I can't put believe the you knife down, that. dude. Swear. <laughs> so, 
Oh boy. It's the sacrifice of halal animals. It ha- like there's a giant sacrifice. So there's cows and camels and goats and sheep, depending on the region, mm-hmm. whatever your meat of choice is. So these animals have to meet certain quality and age standards, and they have to be acceptable for the sacrifice. But many must make it because generally about 100 million animals slaughtered over the first two days of a four-day festival. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was reading actually about this in uh, a book that I read recently called Maximum City, Bombay Lost and Found, um, which is an excellent book. Uh, but that reading, reading about that made me sort of sick to my stomach, actually. The yeah. article that I'm going to link to is about the celebration in Karachi, and I'm going to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that. So do they eat them? Yes, it's, the meat is divided into three parts, and again, this is the traditional. It's if you're poor and you need the whole animal, they're not going to say divide it into three parts. But right. the tra- traditional division is a third for your household, so your your common family, another third for your extended family and friends, so you swap meat, <laughs> <laughs> swap meat at the swap meat, and then a the final third goes to the poor. Okay. Because the tradition of the mm-hmm. Greater Eid is nobody goes hungry. It's a four-day festival where everyone is taken care of. And as I was talking about Karachi in Pakistan, which is the second largest city in the world by population, mm-hmm. and Eid is on steroids. The animals aren't, <laughs> because they have to meet specific ideas. But the festival itself, is. there's a market in the middle of town that is open almost all hours, and it takes on an aura of a slaughterhouse carnival. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's like the streets are running, with, and you see the, the bones pile up in the backyards and every, everywhere. Yeah, it's, just blood, mud yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it's <sighs> kind of freaky. And so the richest families are vying for these huge sacrificial bowls called Sibi, or it might be Sibi, S-I-B-I. I, again, I'm not True. really up on it. And so some of these bulls in the last year's festival, they could go for huge prices, what equates to about $14,000 US. Wow. And in Karachi, in the city, the minimum wage is about $100 per month. Yeah. But so you want to be the family that has like the biggest, fanciest sacrifice? Yeah. It's a matter of... It's a status symbol. It's a status yeah. symbol. It's a matter mm-hmm. of pride. People will either buy these animals at market, because the market's set up for a couple of weeks beforehand, showing off these bulls or these camels or these exotic animals that they can bring in and people will put them in their front yard saying look at what I will be sacrificing for Eid hmm. and people will walk up and down the streets and look at what other people are you know how you look at Christmas so lights. I was going to yeah. say yeah. it's like the Christmas displays but animals yeah okay Lovely. So, well, that's a different way to look at it it's plenty that's true yeah. it's your meat's getting sacrificed too. That's that is also true. Yeah, you can make it, you can make mm-hmm. an argument about the relative uh, suffering that might occur when animals are slaughtered in various ways. I don't think that it's important that we get into that. However. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> reminding everybody there they weren't born in styrofoam. Yep. But so the hides of these sacrificial animals they're also highly prized enough that there's a black market. Oh wow. Eid in Karachi is there's some corruption to it both Eids, though in this same the world over. But these hides, there's gangs that go around stealing them because people give them as donations for the poor. And then you know, people steal them from the mosques and the like, and hmm. they hold people up for it. And there's a lot of not so good. But it's part of the culture that they've built around this slaughterhouse carnival. As I was saying uh, earlier, with the calendar switching up, Eid in 2015 was ce- started celebrating on September 24. So it, it, and it moves on the calendar. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. But I mean, at its core, it's still a festival where you have food and you give food away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a yep. festival of plenty and a festival of loving your neighbors and there's two of them. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's actually interesting meats. how, <laughs> because it moves, it's never actually like a, a harvest celebration or anything mm-hmm. where you, because mm-hmm. normally you would have a, a celebration of slaughtering animals at a specific time of season or whatever, and this is not so much. No. Kind of. Yeah, it's the, I guess you have to provide for them as you're growing them. I think they have to be at least four years old. Okay. So it's, it's also showing that you've been able to raise this, well, originally showing that you were able to raise this animal. Mm-hmm. Nice. Different needs. So, continuing around the table, we have Laura. All right. I am going to talk about a holiday called Dongxi. I really don't know if I've pronounced that. I'm pretty sure that one is correct. Okay. This is a winter solstice festival that's celebrated in China, Taiwan, and in some overseas Chinese communities as well. And this was a new one for me. I had not heard of this. Of course, the idea of winter solstice festivals is not a new one. Pretty much every culture is had some variation of that throughout history, but I wasn't aware of this one in particular. So uh, being that it is celebrating the winter solstice or the shortest day of the year, the one with the longest night, the shortest daylight hours, it's celebrated somewhere between December 21st and 23rd, depending on the year. And the name actually means winter arrival. So it hmm. is really just marking the, the change of the seasons. So the, uh, the custom behind this goes back to the, uh, the theory of the yin and yang. So if you're not familiar with that, Yin symbolizes darkness, coldness, and that, whereas Yang symbolizes brightness and and warmth and that. So the solstice is the junction between those two. The solstice, because it's the darkest day of the year, it is seen as the most Yin day of the year. And the day after would then be the new beginning because the light is going to start coming back. So the yang is coming back. So you're coming back to that ideal uh, idea of balance or equilibrium between the two. So it's a celebration to see that the light is, is coming back and equilibrium is coming back to the world. So it's, it's often seen as a day of uh, renewal. It's a day to observe yourself, um, grow wiser. And in older traditions, not as much now, but... Still, for some people, everybody is considered a year older on that day, mm-hmm. regardless of your actual birth date. It's not the Chinese New Year, which happens about six to eight weeks later. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually the New Year, but you're considered a year older at mm-hmm. that time. And it's because of the re- rebirth, renewal, the seasons are changing. It's when you level up. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So even like newborn babies would be yeah. a year older? Yeah, so everybody is, is just a year older. So especially for older people in these communities, they'll say, you know, you're a year older now. Mm-hmm. To, that's a greeting that, that will be said. So oh, cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. So everybody ages together, <laughs> which, is, which is really neat because we're, at least for us, we're so used to aging on our own timelines or at least with our... Who, who we consider peers, but mm-hmm. we all age together in the same way and we go through the seasons together. So it's actually the second, often times it's the second most important holiday after the Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year. So it's, it's, it is very important in the culture. In some parts of, the, of uh, China, particularly the southern parts, not only was it the change of season, but it was also marking the end of the harvest because in southern parts of China, it has a milder climate. And so that would be the time of year where the harvest would be done, the outside work would be done, and it was marking the beginning of the coldest months to come. So it was sort of like a Thanksgiving. In some circles, they consider it like the Thanksgiving in the, the Chinese community. 
but coldest is relative. <laughs> coldest is relative. Yes. You say from Winnipeg, <laughs> right? But but it would still be you know the date is late December, and so January to March. Mm-hmm. I mean, typically those are pretty cold times for us here as well. So, but yeah, if you're still harvesting in December, yeah. you're doing way better than Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the way that this is celebrated is really, it's seen as a time for family reunion. So it's celebrated generally by a big meal. People don't really get the day off. It's not like a national holiday, but people do try to leave work early and they all go home with their families, extended or not, and you have a big meal together. And that's how you, you celebrate. I sense a trend in these. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's not a feast per se, but it's it's just a time to go home and it's it's very it's not like our Christmas where you go out and sing carols in the streets and things like that. It's a time to go home and spend time with your loved ones and think about the year to come and the year that has passed and, and that. So it's a little bit more solemn but still a joyous occasion. Mm-hmm. Joyous Kwanzaa. <laughs> <laughs> so there are traditional foods that are eaten during Dongji. And it depends on what part of China or whether you're in Taiwan or not. So in the north part of China, you will eat dumplings. And that is what you eat on Dongji. Always good? Always good, right? Who doesn't love dough stuffed with stuff? (laughs) I love dough stuffed with stuff. So this tradition apparently dates back to the Han Dynasty in China, which started about 200 BC until about 280. And it's credited to a doctor at the time named Zhang Zhongjing, who is purported to be the inventor of dumplings. And apparently (laughs) he invented these things because he saw poor children in the street with frostbitten ears and fingers, and he thought this will help keep them warm. So he made them and handed out these hot dumplings to poor people. That's a good doctor. That's a good doctor. And so then the tradition is stuck. And so it's very much the thing that you do. You go home and you eat dumplings. Hmm. So that's in the north part of China. If you're in the south, you typically will eat a dish called tang yuan. And based on what it is, it is these balls made of rice flour that are sometimes stuffed with usually sweet fillings. And they're in a sweet broth, they call it. So it's basically these sweet little pastry balls floating in a sugar syrup. So sweet dumplings. (laughs) Sweet dumplings, yeah, basically. (laughs) They're not always stuffed, and again, it depends on where you are, but yeah, that's the idea. And it's this very particular kind of dish. It's only served at that time. One of the reasons that that dish is served is because the tang yuan sounds like the word for reunion. And so they're very similar words. So you serve the dish that means reunion. That's sweet. Yeah. Do you guys remember when turtles were only available at Christmas time? Yeah. Yeah. I miss those days. It sounds like it sounds like a a non sequitur, but just because this is the dish that they have only at that one time of the year, it's like turtles should. Only be available during Christmas. And you like mini eggs at Easter. Yeah. No, yeah. I appreciate that mini eggs are available all the time. Oh, <laughs> mini eggs are the worst. This, this tradition reminds me very much of a Ukrainian tradition that we do in my family. It's a dish that you serve on Christmas Eve. It's called kutsya. And basically, it's cooked wheat berries and it's served in a broth of honey and water with a little bit of salt for flavor and sometimes poppy seeds. It sounds weird. It's amazing. It is so good, but you only serve it. Nope. You guys are. <laughs> You guys, come on. I'm there. No, it's so good. I'm there. It's so good. It's like a warm You're wrong, breakfast Laura. I'm glad you like it. Anyway, it just reminds me of that. also gross. So that's so back to actual dongsi. I will fight you over oatmeal. <laughs> you can have all the oatmeal. Okay, so back to that. No, it's important you like it, Ashlyn. Laura is on track. <laughs> Trying not to let us distract her. I'm the one who keeps us on Shut track, up, according yeah. to our listeners. Oh my god. <laughs> you, you listeners are so wrong. <laughs> it's all Laura. <laughs> With her hand motions. 
It's and true. Her glares. It's a true story. <laughs> Admit it, Newman. You know I'm right. <laughs> okay, can I finish now? Yes. Okay. So now, if you're in Taiwan, a traditional dish is called a nine-layer cake, and so this Ooh. is not the kind of cake that we're thinking of Damn. around the table here. <laughs> what it is is that the same rice dough that is used to make those balls in Tangwan, instead of made made into those balls, it's shaped into little cakes in the shapes of animals, the types of animals that you would find on the Chinese zodiac calendar. So Aww. like sheep and and goats and oxen dragons. and things like that. No dragons though. But uh, I know sheep was def- definitely on that list. I'm not all of them. Anyway, so it's shaped into those different animals. The ones and... that are easy to make into those shapes. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever seen a dragon cake? I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I have. I can show you pictures. Yeah, yeah. cutters. So the reason this is, this is called a nine-layer cake is because all these individual cakes are stacked on different layers of steaming baskets, and it's usually nine layers high, and so it mm. is a cake in that sense. So you would eat that dish, and some families will also eat the tangwan as well. So really this holiday is a a little bit more solemn but very much a time to spend with family and you eat a lot of starchy sometimes sweet foods and it's a a time of renewal and rebirth and looking forward to the brighter days ahead. My sister loves it. She lives in Nanning Mm -hmm. and she lives in a compound with a bunch of other English-speaking teachers and they all get together and do the celebration together. It's their big Nanning family that they do every year. She says it's one of the things she looks forward to because she can learn the traditional cooking and everything. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That would be really neat to do. Yeah, so sounds like a nice holiday. Mm-hmm. They all do. They do. They all yeah. do. Let's just <laughs> celebrate them all. <laughs> Take Constant a couple months celebration. Oh, now <laughs> you're talking. That would be fun. All right. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to skip Jem and take the next turn. Whoa. Because I don't want to do my holiday and then the quiz that we have coming up. Uh, it'll be too much of me talking, so I'll okay. have Jem break it up with his enormous discussion of Yule. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, Yule is mostly an historical holiday. Yes. So <laughs> and I, I get into the history a little bit. I one that was currently being celebrated. Anyway. Neo-pagans celebrated, okay? That's true. Although it's not really... When I went through my woo period, I celebrated it. Okay. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to be talking about the Festival of Lights. And if you uh, know anything about different non-Christmas holiday celebrations, you might be wondering, which one? The answer is both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first one that I'm going to talk about is Diwali or Diwali. And I think I'm going to stick with Diwali because the alternate name for it is Deepavali. So I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a V sound. And this is uh, celebrated, it's an, an ancient Hindu festival. And it's celebrated with lots and lots and lots of lights. Lights everywhere. There are uh, special lanterns that they light and put in their houses. And uh, it's sort of the biggest, big celebration that is celebrated. The the main thing sort of leading up to Diwali is that people will clean and renovate and decorate their homes like this is a big deal and it's also a huge shopping season so people will go out and buy you you have to you don't have to but you should wear like new clothes everybody in the family needs new clothes um, and even things like cars and jewelry is very popular to buy at this time of year there are five days in the celebration and each one of them has sort of a different significance uh, it starts two days before the main celebration and ends two days after. And then so the oh, the, neat. the big celebration is in the middle. Yeah, that's very unusual. It seems yeah, like usually it's it sort usually of leads up to the front loaded or back loaded. It's <laughs> yeah. really smart because then you have the build up and the hangover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed already. And the, uh, the main celebration is to take place on the day of the new moon. So the darkest 
day. And just like some of the other ones we've talked about, this is more of a sort of a Thanksgiving harvest celebration for, uh, and it's one of the ones that moves around as well. So it's normally between the end of October and the middle of November, sometime in there. Uh, in 2015, it was the 11th or 10th of November, depending on where in India it's celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to talk about the five days and what the different rituals and stuff was on each day. Um, so the first day, and again, there's going to be a lot of, of words that I don't know how to pronounce here, is down terrace. And it you start off by buying a lot of things. So this is the day where everything goes on sale. It's like Black Friday. Boxing <laughs> day. Yeah, or Boxing you are. day in Canada. Yeah. Uh, God, Black Friday is infiltrating Canada too. Though. Yeah, it is. It's, it's here. Yeah. Like zebra um, mussels. Businesses will uh, clean and decorate and, and get put everything on sale, yada yada. And uh, women and, and girls will create rangoli, which are those really cool um, sort of mosaic looking dealios that they make with colored flour and colored sand and they're in like geometric patterns or you know fancy peacocks or whatever. And so those are placed at entrances or in the walkways of homes, which sounds really awful because I wouldn't want to step on them and they would be in the way. <laughs> and they're supposed to be, I guess, landing places for uh, the spirits of gods and, and things to visit your home. And they're really, really pretty. If you if you get a chance to Google Rangoli, they're, they're really fancy. And boys and men, uh, while the women are making these Rangoli, they put up all the lights and get everything <laughs> fancy. And people, uh, it's supposed to mark the birthday of Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth and prosperity. And so people will do prayers and things for for that particular deity. The next day is for the finishing up the house decoration and the, and the Rangoli. And they're also, in a lot of parts of India, there are special bathing rituals. So you'll get yourself all cleaned up for the festival. And that's sort of the big the big deal on the second day. And people will cook a lot of the, the sweet foods that are going to be eaten the next day. Uh, so the third day is the... The third day is the biggest day. It's the big festival. And it, as I said, is on the new moon. So it's the darkest day. And then you light it up and make sure it's bright and fancy. There are offerings made. Everybody wears new clothes. And Lakshmi is supposed to roam the earth on Diwali night. And so people open their doors and their windows and they welcome the goddess and they plates. Uh, and that's what all the lights are for, is to welcome her in and make sure the goddess of prosperity visits your home. Very important. And then after the prayers and, and visiting relatives and exchanging sweets, there are a ton of fireworks. Like <laughs> all of the fireworks ever. I was reading a few stories this past Diwali about how there were places in India where it got so polluted from the, the firework smoke that people couldn't go outside for days <laughs> because they made too much smoke and, and pollution and it just made it unbreathable outside. Wow. So lots of fireworks. <laughs> so they'll give the children like little bottle caps and, and uh, sorry, bottle rockets and uh, pop caps and, and everything. And then the, the big boys get to play with the giant rockets and, and fireworks and stuff. And again, this is, it's kind of a, a gendered thing is the, the men get to set off the fireworks. And so after that, on the day after Diwali, you're, you know, nursing your hangover or whatever. It celebrates the love and mutual devotion between wife and husband. Um, and apparently it's sort of like an anniversary would be here. Okay. Uh, so people will go out to a nice dinner with their spouse. And traditionally, people would have gone with their spouse and visited maybe the bride's family. Mm -hmm. So that was a day of sort of reunion with the bride's family because usually they would live closer to the, to the groom's family. Uh, but now it's sort of more just a, you know, let's hang out and be all lovey-dovey. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final day is called Bayadouj. 
Um, and it is celebrated by the sister-brother relationship. So don't mix those ones up. <laughs> uh, so don't brothers mix, and Don't sisters, mix up day four and five. Yeah. <laughs> they will get together and celebrate their bonds and bring their families closer. And sometimes there will be big extended family visits. And, um, you know, there's lots of sweets. Again, there's sweet food and starchy food. So I seem to dominate a lot of these <laughs> conversations. Yes. Um, celebration and, in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something that I thought was really nice, too, is that um, it also is a sort of a celebration of peace. One of the uh, traditions that have has cropped up is that at the Indian-Pakistan uh, border, the Indian forces will approach the Pakistani forces and offer traditional Indian sweets, and so now they've come to expect it, and the, and the Pakistani forces will return the goodwill with an assortment of Pakistani sweets. <laughs> so that's kind of nice, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. International delicious feast giving. Mm-hmm. Wonder if we can get like North and South Korea on the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best There's of luck no with sweets that. in North Korea. <laughs> Ashlyn, are there any stats no. on how many babies are born nine months after the uh, <laughs> day four? <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> I imagine a lot. <laughs> and uh, there's an interesting uh, analysis of sort of the economics of Diwali. You, know, you can sort of compare it to Christmas as well, or it's the biggest shopping season. At retail level, approximately 800 million U.S. dollars worth of firecrackers are consumed in India over the Diwali season. Oh, firecrackers? <laughs> just firecrackers, yeah. That's not the whole thing. It's yeah. just the firecrackers. <laughs> that's the disposable part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't find an actual number for everything else. But yeah, you like basically outfit your entire family every year for this thing. It's, <laughs> it's a big deal. And so the festival of lights that we might be more familiar with is Hanukkah, and that's uh, so Hanukkah is also known as the festival of lights because it is um, a festival that commemorates the day that on the for the rededication of the holy temple in Jerusalem, the myth goes that there was only one night's worth of oil, and it miraculously lasted eight days. So they were able to complete the dedication and and do everything that they needed to do. But it's actually not a very important festival no. in the Jewish calendar. It's far more important that people put more importance, rather, on things like uh, Rosh Hashanah or... Um, and I, I think we, we feel, uh, those of us who are raised in kind of a, a Christmas time tradition, feel that it's more uh, important just because... It, it has that contrast with yeah, the holiday that we it's celebrate. Near Christmas, yeah. yeah, and and that's been sort of exploited by retailers as well, sure. mm-hmm. and and parents feel like they should give their children gifts at this time because all the other children are getting yeah. gifts at mm-hmm. this time. Christmaca. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of become conflated, even though they often don't line up very well at all. Um, like this year, on in 2015, it was uh, it is the sixth from the 14th, which will be after the show goes out. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's quite a bit earlier, but it can be as early as be- before the show. Goes November out. I mean, before the show goes out. Yeah, well, the show will come out after Hanukkah. Right, is what I was saying. I may have mangled. Okay, it. sorry. <laughs> and so there will be things like eating uh, unleavened food, and there's of course the, of the bread variety. I'm assuming <laughs> unleavened food of the bread variety, unleavened food, because they're not supposed to be leaveners in anything. And there's actually they're very. Uh, why don't you want your food to be level? <laughs> Leavened. All right. Anybody around the table who's ever baked anything. I think he was making a joke, guys. I think so, too. I'm I sorry. get jokes. 
Uh, I listened to a, a Planet Money podcast where they were talking about um, the making of the little cracker doyos. Matzos? Matza, yeah. <laughs> and it's very, very strict. Um, so they put together the, the flour and the water and I think salt. Those are like the only ingredients that are allowed to be in it and roll it out. And the machines are very like tightly calibrated. And the once the water touches the flour, it has to be less than I think 17 minutes before it goes in the oven just in case any like wild yeast gets in there it mm. can't have a chance to, well, to leaven it yeah. and uh, everything is just like very strict so if the if the machine breaks down at any point you just have to scrap all of the dough that was going to go onto it because you just can't use it it's, it's done uh, and they've got you know rabbis watching over the whole system mm-hmm. and everything so it's, it's very important to observant Jews that uh, you know nothing get you know, a little bit of yeast in it that rises the dough at all. I remember when I was in high school, I had a lot of Jewish friends, and they were always mm-hmm. complaining about the stuff, like they couldn't have the sandwiches they wanted to have during <laughs> the... <laughs> they were very upset with these, like, little... The matzah. The matzah. Yeah. The little flat crackers. Thing. Everything is better with atheism. Yeah. <laughs> sandwiches. Can't wait for that promotion at Subway. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, Hanukkah isn't um, the most important thing. There isn't even... Um, uh, there's no obligation to refrain from work, um, which is an obligation during a lot of the other festivals that are, are more important. Um, but there are lighting the Hanukkah lights, which is how we, we get to the, the festival of lights. So every night throughout the eight-day holiday, the, a candle is lit on the menorah, and there is a, an extra candle so that, that stays lit because that's the only one that you can have going for to use for anything else because the, the ritual candles aren't supposed to be used for, for anything like lighting other candles or mm-hmm. or anything except being pretty basically and traditionally you'll put it in a in a window so that everybody can see it and you're supposed to sort of light up the whole neighborhood with pretty lights so now that i've covered both festivals of lights tell us about yule gem okay so i picked yule mostly because ashlyn wouldn't let me talk about captain picard day uh, although that is in july so I, mark I, your I calendars no such thing you didn't even ask <laughs> he only gets four lights Lauren, don't encourage him. Come on. I don't understand the joke. You know what's sad, Ashlyn? I do. I don't get jokes. Oh, God. What a good episode. Chain of Command. It was a reference to Chain Chain of Command Part 2. Chain of Command Part 2. That's right. Oh, my God. Captain Jellicoe took over the... Oh, my uh, God, Jen. Seriously. (laughs) Five-minute limit. Go. All right. So, Yule is a midwinter festival originally celebrated by the indigenous Germanic tribes. Like I said, this is going to be a little bit heavier on history because it's not really celebrated anymore. We'll get to that. Early historical references to Yule are found in old Germanic names for the months, Era Yola and Efter Yola. Uh, which is literally before Yule and after Yule, from dating back before the 8th century. Uh, Although the first known reference to Yuletide as a noun, uh, which literally means Yule time, appeared in the 15th century. The Yuletide period traditionally fell between what is now mid-November and early January in the modern Gregorian calendar. Much of what we know about Scandinavian mythology actually comes from a work called the Prose Edda, 
which was composed and compiled in the early 13th century by Icelandic scholar Snorri Sturluson, uh, who has, like, the best name ever. So Snorri Sturluson's work is called the Prose Edda to distinguish it from the earlier Poetic Edda, which served as source material, among other things. While the origin of the word Yule is somewhat uncertain, one of the names given to the Norse gods in the Prose Edda is the Yule Beings. Yule itself seemed to be used as a synonym for feast in Old Norse poetry. And the god Odin, uh, the Allfather, is also known as um, Yulfar, uh, which is Yule Father, uh, and Yulnir, the Yule One. According to 8th century English historian Bede, Madrenikt, uh, or the Night of the Mothers, was observed on what is now Christmas Eve. Although the details of Madrenikt are unclear, it may have been a fertility celebration, and some scholars contend that it was part of the Yuletide celebrations related to the Matron cult of the Western Germanic peoples. Yule has been linked to supernatural activity, such as sightings of Drauhar, uh, Draugar, I don't know how you pronounce that. Draugar. Draugar, uh, which are undead revenants that walk the earth. Uh, and uh, it's also been linked to the Wild Hunt, uh, a ghostly procession in the winter sky that is uh, a feature of folklore throughout Europe. The makeup of the Wild Hunt varies by region, uh, including King Arthur in northern France, uh, not England, though, because King Arthur has nothing to do with England. I don't know why we're talking about England. It also includes a bunch of condemned cowboys in that terrible song, Ghost Riders <laughs> in the Sky. Uh, but in Germany and Scandinavia... Mm, I'm going to have to interrupt you there, Jim. <laughs> that is not a terrible song. Oh, that is an awesome worst. song. Oh, have boy. you not heard Fred Penner sing? I have heard... Oh, God, I hate that version the most. <laughs> I will jump across this table and slap the beard off your face. Are we back to dissing Fred Penner? <laughs> yeah, that was so two episodes ago or whatever. <laughs> so in Continue. Germany and Scandinavia, the wild hunt is often referred to as Odin's hunt, or the ride of the Asgard. In Scandinavian folklore, the hunt itself was rarely seen, but the approach of Odin's hunt could be identified by the braying of his dogs, while the rest of the forest grew silent. The hunt foretold change in weather or coming war and unrest. The hunt was feared, and in some parts of Sweden, there actually is a tradition of carrying both bread and steel when going to church for Yule services. If one met uh, a rider with a broad-brimmed hat, one should throw the piece of steel in front of oneself and, you know, hit the dirt. Uh, but if one met his dogs instead, you throw the piece of bread. I don't know why dogs are interested in bread. You'd think, like, maybe, like, a, a leg of lamb or something. If the but, cartoons have yeah. you believe anything, it's uh, it's sausage links yeah, right. altogether. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, much of what we know about the wild hunt comes from 19th century German folklorist Jacob Grimm. Does that name sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. <laughs> he had a brother named brother? Wilhelm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and many of the tales related to the Wild Hunt are post-medieval, so it's unclear how much, if any, of this folklore actually dates back to original pre-Christian Yule celebrations. Yeah. Probably um, very little. But <laughs> What about the Headless Hunt? <laughs> over the uh, past few hundred years, Yule has become sort of synonymous with Christmas in much of the English-speaking world. According to Snorri Sturluson's Saga of Hakon the Good, the Feast of Yule was celebrated for three nights, beginning midwinter night, the uh, winter solstice. King Hakon I of Norway had converted to Christianity during his time in the court of English King Æthelstan. Well... 
Hakon the Good apparently hid his Christian convictions upon his return to Norway, he undertook the Christianization of the pagan peoples of his homeland, passing a law establishing that Yule was to be celebrated at the time that Christmas was celebrated by Christians. Uh, the date of which had been established many centuries earlier. According to Snorri Sturluson, God, that's a great name, Hakon <laughs> decreed that at the time, at, at that time, everyone was to have ale for the celebration with a measure of grain or else pay fines and had to keep the holiday while the ale lasted. So what so exactly... You had to, you had to, I'm sorry to interrupt. You had to drink or you'd be fined? Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> My people have some excellent traditions. I was going to say, that's yeah. not a good tradition for you, Jim, but... Uh... <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about what the uh, celebrations actually entailed. Uh, I'll quote from the saga of Hakon the Good. It was ancient custom that when sacrifice was to be made, all farmers were to come to the heathen temple and bring along with them the food they needed while the feast lasted. At this feast, all were to take part in the drinking of ale. Also, all kinds of livestock were killed in connection with it. Horses also, and all the blood from them was called hlaut, or sacrificial blood, and hlautbuli, the vessel holding the blood, and hlauthanar, the sacrificial twigs, which was aspergillus. These were fashioned like sprinklers, and with them were to be smeared all over with blood the pedestals of the idols and also the walls of the temple within and without. And likewise, the men present were to be sprinkled with blood. That sounds but, like a really messy holiday. Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you think Eid was messy? No, 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 it's got nothing on Yule. But the meat of the animals was to be boiled and served as food at the banquet. Bo boiled meats is a Germanic. No, it's uh, yeah. it's actually. I mean, speaking as a vegetarian, I've actually done the boiled meats, and they're they're really good once you get them past a certain point. <laughs> no, you have to boil them until they're terrible, and then keep boiling them, and then they get amazing. And they actually, there are places in the sagas where they, there's a visitor in town, and they apologize that they had to roast the meat because they didn't have time. They didn't have time to boil it. And it was considered inferior to roast it rather than to boil it. Huh. Interesting. If you want to talk about Viking-era cookery, we can have a show on that, because that's my jam. So, Literally. fires were to be lighted, to continue the quotation, Sorry. in the middle of the temple floor, and kettles hung over them. The sacrificial beaker was to be borne around the fire, and he who made the feast and the chieftain was to bless the beaker as well as all the sacrificial meat. So on Yule, the gods were toasted. The first <laughs> toast was drunk to Odin for victory and power to the king. The second to Njoror Njor, uh, and Freyr the, uh, for good harvest and peace. And the third toast was drunk to the king himself. And finally, toasts were addressed to the memory of the departed. So if I mention Yule, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Fog. <laughs> yep. For a lot of people, the one thing they associated with Yule is the Yule log. While the origin of the log tradition is unclear, some historians believe that it also dates back to pre-Christian traditions. So in 1725, English historian Henry Bourne wrote, Our forefathers, when the common devious of Eve were over and night was come on, were wont to light up candles of an uncommon size, which were called Christmas candles, and to lay a log of wood upon the fire, which they turned a Yule log, or Christmas block. 
These were to illuminate the house and turn night into day, which custom in some measure is still kept up in the northern parts. It hath in all probability been derived from the Saxons, for Bede tells us that this very night was observed in this land before by the heathen Saxons. They began, says he, their year on the 8th of Calends of January, which is now our Christmas day, and the very night before, which is now holy to us, was by them called Modrenicht or the night of the mothers. The Yulclog, therefore, hath probably been a part of those ceremonies which were performed that night's. It seems to have been used as an emblem of the return of the sun and the lengthening of the days. Other Yule traditions, some of which appear to predate the Christianization of Scandinavia, are still reflected in Christmas celebrations today, including wassailing, or Yule singing, you know, going door-to-door with carols. Here we go, wassailing. <laughs> and the Yule boar, which you may recognize as the Christmas ham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more recently, neo-pagan rites have been added to the more traditional celebrations, including the Wiccan celebration of the rebirth of the great horned hunter god. Some neo-pagan sects recognize a 12-day celebration beginning on the date of the winter solstice. While historically some celebrations of Yuletide have lasted for 12 days, I feel it's important to note that Yule is not where we get the 12 days of Christmas. Instead, the arrow of causation actually goes the other way, it seems, with the 12 days of Yule occurring as a result of the Christianization of Scandinavia that I mentioned earlier. So the 12 days of Christmas, which is the span between the Nativity, birth of Jesus, and the Epiphany, or the Twelfth Night, which commemorates the visit of the Magi, was established at the Second Council of Tours in 567, where it was also decided that married priests weren't allowed to sleep with their wives, who instead had to sleep with the maidservants, and any priests found sleeping with their wives were to be excommunicated uh, for a period of one year. It was an eventful council, I guess, is is all I'm saying. (laughs) And for thank you, Jim. For listeners uh, interested in the various and contradictory uh, biblical accounts of the Nativity, we discussed that back on episode seventy-two. And I promise I'm done. That's all you'll get from me. (laughs) 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 I promised myself I wouldn't say that, but I said it. (laughs) Okay, I don't believe you're an untrustworthy son of a bitch. (laughs) I believe you got the response you deserved. I also find it hard to believe that anybody has ever said that you keep this on track. Because, oh my god, there were so many tangents. There's so much interesting history. So many interesting quotes you found that you had to read in full. I did not. I abridged those. Those were all abridged. There are ellipses. Um, Yeah, he took out like two thes in it. Although there was definitely some hats in there, which I yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, well, also, like, there are a lot of six in these. Like, I stumbled a couple times just because, like, there were, like, these were handwritten originally. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a bunch of, you know, words that were misplaced in yeah. them. I'm just reading the appropriate edits. Excellent. Excellent. I keep the edits on my phone. So... I think that what we can all take from this is that celebrations across cultures and across history and time all come down to eating delicious food and spending time with people you like. And Ooh. drinking. And, drinking. and occasionally allowing the streets to run red with blood. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's all part of the eating, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the lesson to take away is to enjoy whatever celebration you have and allow it to bring us all closer. And, and you know what? I really like having you guys around. Yay. Aww. Thanks for coming over and recording this lovely holiday episode. Aww. Because, you know, you're my community. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're and very all sweet, of our Jim. listeners are our community. 
Yeah. <laughs> Get me some mead, wind. would you? Do you have any ale on you that we can drink? I didn't bring any mead, but I've got a new one. Delicious mead. Apple cider mead. So, oh as my. is traditional, as we have uh, made our own traditions, as, you know, so many families and cultures have over the year, we're going to end our holiday show with a quiz. Woohoo! Hey. And this time, Jem gets to play, because I made the quiz. Excellent. I'm the reigning <laughs> champion, but that's probably not going to stand. <laughs> so, because we were talking about all kinds of celebrations across history, I decided to make today's quiz all about modern holidays. So these are all holidays that have been... Made up in the last 50 years or so. Okay, so what are the rules here? How, how are we playing? It is a multiple choice quiz. Okay. There are six questions. I'll start with a different person and go around the table. You tell me what you think the answer is. Everybody will get a chance at getting first and going last. And I don't know, there's only four of you, so I don't know when you get not the best chances at it. But we'll figure it out. There are four answers for each one, so you have a 25% guess. Right. <laughs> All right. First question. Pancha Ganapti was created in 1985 as a Hindu alternative to Western December holidays like Christmas. There are five days, each of which is spent focusing on a different spiritual discipline or sadhana. Which of these is not one of the five sadhanas? One, creating a vibration of love and harmony among immediate family members. Two, creating a vibration of love and harmony among business associates. <laughs> Three, Creating a vibration of love and harmony among animals and pets. <laughs> Four, creating a vibration of love and harmony among neighbors and relatives. Ian, which one is not one of the Sethanas? Three. <laughs> uh, creating a vibration of love and harmony among animals and pets. Lauren. Business associates. Business associates. B. Two. Laura. I'm going to go pets. Pets. And Jim. I'm also going to have to go pets. Pets and animals. Animals and pets is the correct choice. I didn't think. I thought we all had to choose a different one. No. Okay. <laughs> Pick whichever one you think is correct. I ah. apologize if I did not make that clear. But That's okay. I'm just being a sore loser. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question two. Blue Christmas is becoming an increasingly popular tradition in North America. What is it about? Is it a celebration of the life of BB King? Is it a service held to help people dealing with grief and loss during the holiday season? Is it a vow to not buy or use any plastic over the holiday season in a bid to protect the oceans? Or is it a marketing campaign by Blue Cross aimed at convincing people traveling at Christmas to purchase travel insurance? Lauren. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the dealing with loss. Laura? If Blue Cross was that smart, I can imagine the Christmas. TV commercials. Like, I totally can. Uh, no, I'm going to go with the dealing with loss as well. Yeah, me too. Like, I, I, I know that's a thing that, you know, is hard around the holidays. Yeah. I just, uh, it seems like the most likely one. I agree. Okay. You are all correct. <laughs> it's also called The Longest Night. And so Logic. a lot of uh, churches are starting to have Longest Night or Blue Christmas services that are held either on the solstice or sometimes Christmas Eve. And it's to celebrate people, even people who are dealing with grief or people who are dealing with relatives that are living far away or, you know, military spouses mm -hmm. that are away. So Blue Christmas, gaining in popularity. That seems like an important thing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. like I agree. I, yeah. Uh, I I love the holidays personally. I have nothing but warm feelings, but I I understand that that's not the the way it is for a lot of people. 
I would say, it just, and this is completely anecdotal, but it seems like most people, so many people that I run into these days are like, ah, I hate the holidays, I hate Christmas music, and I hate this, and I hate that. Yeah. What's up with that, man? That's a bad thing. That's more misanthrope than blue. I suppose so. You're right. That is true. But still, what's right? People can Eat like what they like. Food, and hang buy, out with, that's true. Yeah, but like, as a corollary, people can hate what they what they hate. I guess that's also true. true. Yes, but like I, I definitely understand. You know, like my family is tough sometimes, and for people who have tough family situations, I wouldn't want to have all of this pressure to be around them all the time mm-hmm. you know yeah and you get a lot of guilt and and weird societal pressure yeah. even from people who aren't your family like why aren't you spending christmas with your family because they're terrible yeah <laughs> or, or as you mentioned you know like like they're dealing with loss you know they want to spend it with their family but their family's gone yeah my uh, my, my my grandpa uh, passed away around christmas time so it's always a bit of a a bit of a a lull but uh it is what it is right people are mm-hmm. going to pass away a lot of times of the year yeah mm-hmm <laughs> It's kind of what they do. That's what people tend to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So we Happy have <laughs> every every human is just a death waiting to happen. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> That's, paraphrase Merry from Welcome, Christmas. Welcome to Night Vale. Yes. You're terrible. <laughs> so let's talk about Festivus instead. Yay. Festivus might be the most well-known modern holiday around Christmas time. It's celebrated on December 23rd and includes the airing of grievances, feats of strength, and an unadorned aluminum Festivus pole. What was the original Festivus dinner, as described in Dan O'Keefe's book, The Real Festivus? Was it a turkey or a ham, followed by a Pepperidge Farm cake decorated with M&Ms? A meatloaf served on a bed of lettuce? Takeout pizza with ice cream sundaes, or a single Tic Tac <laughs> <laughs> to be fought over or gotten given to the, the I, victor. I think it was a single Tic Tac each. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a RuPaul thing, <laughs> Laura. Oh, jeez. I like the meatloaf on lettuce because I think that it's an attempt at being fancy and festive, <laughs> but a sad attempt. <laughs> okay, man. Ah, that single Tic Tac actually sounds kind of familiar for some reason. But, God, I, I was hoping this question was just going to be who came up with the idea. And then, <laughs> you know, I could say Dan O'Keefe. But, I was uh, say George Costanza. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, jeez. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with Tic Tac. I'm going to go with Tic Tac. Tic Tac? For some reason, that's ringing a bell. Ian? What was the first one? The first one was turkey or ham, followed by a Pepperidge Farm cake decorated with M&M's. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> that's just like... They're all so strangely specific. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Strangely specific. The No, I'm going to go with the pizza and the ice cream. Pizza? Oh, that, would be, a, that would be a great meal. Yeah. Got a good want, spread so far. Right now. Always down for pizza. You're going to go pizza as well? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that's a sweep then. Oh, uh, it's actually turkey or ham followed by a pepperidge farm <laughs> cake decorated with M&M's. Wow. Very weirdly specific. Wait, did you just make these up or? Yeah, the rest of them I just made up. Single tic tac. Wow. Yeah. The single tic tac is the RuPaul thing. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. That's, that's so right. they, on the Drag Race show, they uh, one of the final episodes is always they get to have lunch with Rue, and the meal is a single tic tac each. <laughs> but this year she was juicing. So they went and do a blender. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> a blended tic tac. Uh, next question Why is Human Rights Day celebrated on December 10th? And I'm just going to add, these are all things that happen on December 10th. <laughs> yeah, so that's not something you made up. Okay. Yeah. It's the day former Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, famous Pinochet. for his human rights violations, died of a heart attack in 2006. 
It's the day Argentinian President Raúl Alfonso assumed office in 1983, following years of military dictatorships, and since then, all presidential inaugurations have been on this day in that country. Uh, it's the date of the adoption and proclamation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, or it is the same date that Alfred Nobel Day is celebrated. Uh, who's going first this time? You again? Or no, Jem. Yeah, do jam, jam Jimmy? first. I think no. jam first. Jam first. Jam first. Jam first. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't imagine it's Alfred Nobel Day. Celebrate the, the inventor of dynamite <laughs> on Human Rights Day. That's kind of weird. Dynamite yeah, and, and celebrating, celebrating the death of somebody on Human Rights Day also <laughs> seems like kind of a weird choice. A horrible you know? dictator, Yeah, though. even so, though. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the signing of the declaration. Uh, the adoption and proclamation of the... Oh, yeah, the adoption and... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you had a, that's a damn good uh, assertion there. You should be Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds right. I'm going to go with the same answer Jim has because if he's wrong, I'll punch him. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I really want to go with Screw Pinochet, but <laughs> it's the adoption and proclamation. It's, it's you know, I want to change because like can't that seems the obvious answer. Adopt and proclamate. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with that too. Uh, I like the other answers, but I think that uh, particularly Western and European cultures are not aware enough of the rest of the world <laughs> to know that those kinds of things have happened. So I don't trust them to actually do that. So I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I you guys are all right. Um, I totally made Except up for the end this end. question just so that I could talk about how it's the day that this Chilean dictator died. Um, because the Wikipedia page for Human Rights Day has a list of notable celebrations of Human Rights Day. And that is listed. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was pretty terrible. Yeah. Like, super terrible. It's like, what happened on this day, on Human Rights Day in whatever it was, 19... Oh, sorry, 2006. <laughs> This dictator died. Yay! <laughs> Makes sense. Okay, next question. We only have two more left. Newtonmas is celebrated on December 25th, Isaac Newton's birthday, under the old-style Julian calendar. Some celebrants exchange Reasons Greetings cards, or boxes of apples, and science-related gifts. What is an alternate name for this holiday? Is it Human Light, in celebration of a humanist vision of a good future? Grav Mass, an abbreviation of Gravitational Mass? <laughs> Isaaca, the Jewish Newtonmas, <laughs> or Apple Smack Festival. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this one is the end first. Yeah. Which is the alternate name for Newtonmas? Oh my god! Can Jem answer first? He seems like he knows the answer. To this. <laughs> uh, what were the f- just quickly? Go yeah, on. Human Light, Grav Mass, Isaaca. Or Apple Smack Festival. I'm going to go with Apple Smack Festival, obviously. <laughs> I'm really waffling between human miss and grav miss or human light Yeah, Human light and grav yeah. I'm going to have to go with grav mess, knowing my people's propensity for puns. That's hard to say. I don't have a pop culture. I really so. apple want smack. Apple Smack, what is it, festival to be true. But I know it's not. It's totally going to be grab mass because it's totally pretentious enough. Good answer. I picked it just as a side note, just because I oh, want yeah, that no. to be true. I totally yeah. want it to be true, Apple though. smack. Apple Happy smack. apple smack. Happy apple smack. <laughs> I'm going to go with human light whatever because I feel like humanists and atheists, as much as I am one, 
uh, tend to just take other people's holidays and try to turn them into something else instead of coming up with their own things. That's uh, totally fair. Human light is an actual thing that some people try and celebrate, but is not an alternate name for Newtonmas. Okay. <laughs> uh, grab mass is the correct answer. Yeah! <laughs> oh, but is human light thing on, on the 25th? No, it's a, oh, different, okay. it's a okay. different date, but it was, yeah, a super pretentious festival that humanists tried to come up with. Okay. All right, so let's add up the points so far. Bright fest. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's one question left. Yeah, there's one question left, so, so I want to so who, who got, see what who we're got at. this one? Laura, we did. Laura and Lauren. Oh, okay, yeah, so... Track. Uh, yeah, I've been keeping track. Okay. So we have uh, Jim and Ian tie... Uh, Jim, Ian, and Lauren all tied with three points, and Laura in the lead with four points. Ooh. How did I get an extra point? Uh, you think you got pretty. a point this, this one, and Lauren lost a point in the first ah, one. Right. Yeah. There we go. So the last question. Zamenhof Day on December 15th is celebrated with parties and poetry readings. What does it commemorate? Is it the birth of the person who created Esperanto, <laughs> the birth of okay. the sacred cow goddess, the birth of Gustav Eiffel, co-designer of the Eiffel Tower, or the birth of Nero, the Roman emperor? Wow. Can you repeat what the celebration is? Zamenhof yes. Day. Zamenhof? December 15th and is celebrated with parties and poetry readings. Are we going in any specific oh, order yeah. here? Oh, yeah. Lauren's turn first. Oh, no. <laughs> it sounds very Germanic. Zamenhof. Or it sounds like a late 70s sci-fi film <laughs> starring Sean Connery. Oh, I'd celebrate, I'd celebrate that shit every, every okay, year. Okay, well, then we got to make Zardos Day. Zardos yeah. Day. Zamenhof Day, pick one. Josh. Joe Stalling. <laughs> How could you tell? Um, the birth of the person who created Esperanto, the birth of the sacred cow goddess, the birth of Gustav Eiffel, co-designer of the Eiffel Tower, or the birth of Nero, the Roman emperor. Esperanto. What you going with? Sure. All right. Because I hate it. I hate Esperanto. <laughs> I'm also going with Esperanto. Esperanto is lovely. <laughs> I have to and speak it, ha- it with it a friend of that, mine. It's awful. That, uh, that, you know, humans coming together and trying to build a community aspect to it. You like it because it's got William Shatner starting a movie with Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because it is extremely, you know, people, people inventing their own language. You know, it's not elvish, but it'll do. It's up your alley. Uh, I but I, I can't know. go with Esperanto I'm because I've, I've got to try to game it. And if I go to, if Esperanto <laughs> is correct, if I go with Esperanto, I can't possibly win because Laura will have more points than me. So instead, I will do the cow one, the cow goddess one, Sacred I guess. Even though I don't goddess. think that's true, I think it probably is Esperanto. Okay, cow goddess Nero. Nero, going with Nero. So Zamenhof is the guy who created Esperanto. And his birthday is December 15th, and so it's celebrated. Uh, it's apparently the most popular uh, celebration among Esperantists, which is a thing. <laughs> um, and there was actually recently yeah, recently an attempt by people who celebrate this holiday uh, to make it less about the central guy and more about the actual Esperanto language. And so people who celebrate this are encouraged to buy a book in Esperanto or recite poetry in Esperanto, um, or uh, I guess encouraged to announce the publication of new books in Esperanto, because I assume there aren't that many. <laughs> there <laughs> are. Like publicists? <laughs> That's yes. their holiday? Yeah. Be our publicist? 
Yeah. So uh, that makes Laura our clear winner. Yay! Champion. Thank you. I win Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) You win all the not Christmas. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) All of the other holidays. Yes. Cool. Used to laugh and call. Yeah. Never mind. uh, Bill O'Reilly wins Christmas, right? That's how that works. No. No. Anyway. Don't mention that (laughs) guy's name. Should be like Voldemort. You should not have to. You shouldn't have to say his name. <laughs> Bill, who must not be named. <laughs> so that's our show for this evening, and we'd like to wish all of our listeners a happy Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Christmas, Diwali, Eid, Jongji, Yulimus. Happy winter. Say happy that winter. after you serve someone at a store. Yeah. Just to be really inclusive. Instead or you of, can instead just of happy, say holidays. happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah. And we'll miss you, Ian. Oh. Thanks for being I'll miss on you our guys show too. and making our music and being a cool dude. Oh, Yay. We'll I'll keep st- in touch. Yeah, I'll still make music for you guys if you want, because that, that can exist on the internet. Yay! But, uh, we love the internet. It's a good it's thing. so great. I will miss being on this podcast, I must admit. It's a great time. I will miss you plugging your other podcast. What's it called? <laughs> well, I don't know if that's even going to happen anymore, but I'm going to oh. plug it anyway. Um, it's a Follow Away Slam podcast. Follow Away Slam. Follow Away Slam. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> You replayed into the time loop. Oh, okay. It's like just in that uh, that episode. Let's talk. Of, uh, speaking of, I was going to say, let's talk more about that episode of Star Trek: <laughs> no! Chain of Command Part Two. It's so good. He gets he he gives a, the guy the 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 Cardassian gives him the choice to live a, a life of luxury or whatever, but all he has to do is say that there are five, five lights. lights. Come on. Yeah. And there has that shot over top of the lights down on Picard. So good. Yeah. Well, that's episode. that speech that he gives at the end where he's he's talking. He's like, for a moment, I did see yeah. five lights. Yeah. yeah. He's talking to Troy hey, Jim, at the end. can you tell our listeners how they can donate to us? Because Ian's leaving us and we need equipment. Yeah, we do need equipment. <laughs> so there's a sale on right now where maybe we could buy equipment for us to record for only $300, maybe? Okay. But uh, uh, you can go to lueepodcast.wordpress.com uh, and click on the donate link on the on the sidebar on the left-hand side there. And that would really help us out. We would definitely appreciate that. How long is the sale on for? I don't know. <laughs> we don't have very long. <laughs> so we need your donations ASAP. You can call it your holiday. And if you can't, thingy? if you can't donate, I understand that not everybody can afford, and not everybody wants to support their podcast monetarily, and that's fine. Uh, one of the things you could do is leave us a Christmas present, or a Yuletide gift, or a Diwali firecracker of a review <laughs> no, on no, iTunes. No, no. Don't leave us firecrackers. <laughs> Just leave us a review on iTunes. The equivalent That's the, of the a... gift that keeps on giving. Yes. Because we would like to get more our rankings and more <laughs> listeners and we can do that by getting more reviews because it bumps us up in the fancy iTunes lists. Can yep. I threaten to read Esperanto poetry if they don't? Because I got some queued up. Uh-huh. Well, well, let's wait until they have a chance. Okay. Does anybody have any other announcements or special requests of our listeners? No. Nope. We'll uh, see you in the new year. Yeah. Have, have a happy holiday if you celebrate a holiday. And if you can't have a happy holiday, you know, don't feel obliged. That's okay, too. You know, sometimes you can't be happy and that's, Continue doing that's that. whatever yeah. you want to do. Do listeners. what you got to do. <laughs> 
be safe and we'll see you in the new year yeah yeah Yay. what's the uh show topic for the new year let's give them a oh boy a reason to tune in hmm. <laughs> does jen have one I, picked yeah up i was thinking about talking about intelligence in non-human animals ah yes that was a cool. listener request Ooh, interesting good damn it <laughs> you can listen. It'll I, be like yeah. a new experience. It, I listen to the podcasts, uh, but uh, it, it'll be sad. It'll be one of those like you know, bittersweet. Aw, yeah, I'm we'll have to shout out thing. to you. <laughs> if, All right. Every damn episode better yeah. have a shout out to me <laughs> in Esperanto. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great night. Good night. Happy holidays. You've been listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd like to suggest a topic for the show, send us an email at podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. If you want to show your support, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just share the show with a friend. Our music is produced by the very talented Ian James, who also edited this episode. 